get enough of my intro, you should check out Relica. They are the masterminds behind the Educate Ebony podcast introduction. And it has been three years since their album Eventide came out. Amazing album. I would highly recommend listening to it. Specifically, Hangman, The Halfway Point and Earthbound are my faves on that album. Go check them out. Spotify, Relica. But yeah, another episode of Educate Ebony, the metal edition. Three episodes left. Whew, counting down. Uh, last week I spoke to Chris Smith from Melbourne band Loon, and he told me to listen to a Tesseract album, Altered State, to be particular. And yeah, I do like Tesseract. I have heard some of their stuff, but I've never listened to this album before. And God, it was so good. I have to say, the first time I listened to it, obviously, what in the dark as per listening notes. You know, I'm not looking at my phone. You just put it down and listen. You listen all the way through. And eventually, I think one time I checked where I was up to and I was like, oh, cool. I got two songs to go. Didn't check how long that would take. So I'm listening and I'm listening and I reckon it's been like another 20 minutes. So then I check and I've basically started the entire album again because it's just rolled. It's just flowed right on through. I think that's how you know it's good. So yeah, very easy listening, very easy to get lost. I think I would need to listen to that album many, many more times to fully hear everything that's going on. And I'd be happy to. You know what? I can't even tell you what songs I liked the best because it all just flowed into one and I wasn't sitting there going, oh, this is when this song starts and this is when it ends and I like that. There's a great saxophone section in there. Really liked that. I have to say though, you do definitely notice Nocturne. That's the one song that definitely stood out. I don't know what they do. Is it bass? Is it just guitar and a low tuning or something? But that intro is powerful. Wow. Yes. Man, no one sounds like Tesseract. If you haven't listened to Altered State, go check it out. But let's get to this episode. It is a bit lengthy, more so than my usual <laughs> usual format. But you know what? You just get to listen to it on the way to work and on the way home from work. Or just block out an entire hour of your day somewhere this week and chuck it on. But okay, so for episode 21 of Educate Ebony, the metal edition... I would love to introduce Daniel Fanari. You probably know him as the drummer extraordinaire and creative mind behind Australia's most loved metalcore band, Polaris. But he's also a bit of a chef, a drum teacher, and a Twitch streamer. So, Dan, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> that was a lovely intro. Thank you, Ebony. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> oh, it's great to have you. I have to correct a few things there. I'll say amateur chef um, and food enthusiast. Food enthusiast, okay. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say one of the creative minds in Polaris because it's a very, it is a very collaborative band. We've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of big brains in the band putting in a lot of ideas. Yeah, and um, yeah, thank you for having me on here. I'm, I'm stoked to stoked to do this, stoked to talk about a bit of a classic album, Ooh. a bit of a chinwag. Ooh, I'm ready. I do want to ask about your culinary experiences quickly because you do post sometimes on Instagram and I have a little look. You post some good things. How are the thank cooking you. adventures going? Do you listen to a certain band, album? What's your cooking vibe like? I mean, cooking thing's big for me, yeah. It's become, and it's become, I love that... <laughs> It's apparently I have a rep for it now just because I post yeah. Instagram stories when I cook <laughs> when I cook fun stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always kind of been into cooking. I grew up in a family um, with a lot of good cooks in it. My, my dad's side of my family is Sicilian. So if you're at all familiar with, with that culture, Southern Italians are, are very, very intense about their food. And um, it's, uh, it's how they show love. So <laughs> that's how um, I'd say I've kind of grown up around a lot. And um, then uh, my mom's side of the family are also terrific cooks as well. Yeah, and I, I, got, I got somewhat into, into cooking when I was younger and it became a bit of a nice little side hobby. It's kind of my, my relaxing time now. It's my, it's my peace time. I like to just, yeah, chuck some music on. Recently, it's been like, I put something on when I'm cooking that's usually not metal because I feel like it's like, I, I will cook and listen to metal, but I tend to listen to maybe stuff outside of the heavier stuff that I've been like waiting to digest a little bit and just kind of want to vibe to a little bit more. So recently, it's been anything from like... um like Anderson Pack. What else has been on the list? I had a friend give me like a really, like a really great hip hop playlist recently with a bunch of stuff that he was trying to, um, he was doing a little bit of a, a little bit of an educate Dan, if you will. Nice. Um, on classic <laughs> Does, doesn't flow as well, but I'll um, allow. <laughs> yeah. The alliteration isn't there, but it'll do. Um, yeah. So yeah. And he gave me all this stuff like, um, like D'Angelo and, um, like Erica Badu and some really, really great, like R and B stuff that I hadn't heard before. I've also been listening recently to, been really enjoying Stand Atlantic and and who else recently? Stand Atlantic's great, man. My mind's going a little bit of a little bit of a blank right now, but I feel like it, it is more of a more of a time. You generally, I will put on something 
a little bit less heavy. Yeah. And just kind of, yeah, just something that can kind of slow, slow my brain down a little bit and um, just have, yeah, have a little bit more of a chill. Yeah. It's um, the, the, the cooking thing's funny too, because it started for me as, sorry, I mean, in regards to doing it, like um, it being like an online thing, which apparently it is now. It started with kind of me just posting Instagram stories. Yeah. When I was making stuff that I was stoked about or experimenting with something new or, you know, yeah, going really hard on a big stuff. And people got really psyched about it. And then when I said I was going to do drum Twitch, someone was like, cooking Twitch. And I was like, mm. why not? <laughs> it's, like, it's just more, for me, it's almost just an excuse to, to get more streams in because if I'm going to be doing it anyway, that's kind of my approach to streaming is I just do things that I would be doing otherwise and stream them. So I literally don't practice drums now except for streaming. So I teach, um, like I teach all day, like three days a week. So I'm playing drums all the time. But when I want to just practice and jam. I just get on Twitch and do it with some company. Same thing with cooking, which is really nice. Oh, that's beautiful. I like it. Yeah, just good to kind of vibe and yeah, talk some shit with friends and strangers. Yeah. Yeah. And they, the strangers become friends on Twitch too, but you get the same people coming in over and over again and you just have these screen names that you can't attach a face to, but they're really lovely people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so good. It's nice to listen to music that isn't heavy, but we are here for a, a heavy metal education, I guess. So. Yes, yeah. I'm ready. Hit me with it. What is the one metal album I need to hear? I, I was tossing around a couple and yeah, and so I've, I've landed on, uh, after tossing around a couple of different albums by this band... And also I was looking at doing an album by Lamb of God. I came back to Avenged Sevenfold because that was the first the first metal band I ever really, really dove into myself. They were definitely like the gateway band for me from punk music and pop punk and more general rock music into the metal area. And I know they were the same for a lot of a lot of kids my age too. Like for my the more I talk to people close in age to myself who are touring or working in the industry um, in the heavy side of things. So many of us kind of transitioned into metal with bands like Avenged and also Bullet My Valentine, like Atreyu. Those three bands I feel like at that time were so foundational to this like borderline mainstream metalcore movement, which sounded a little bit different to what metalcore sounds like now, but it really was like, you know, it was building off bands like Killswitch Engage as well. And like the European metal bands as well, like your, I guess you're at the gates and uh, and in flames and all of those guys who kind of laid the foundation for this guitar harmony work. But I think those bands were really, you know, yeah, Avenged and Bullet and Atreyu and some of the other bands from that scene, particularly just like blew it up to like this big invisible level. And they had this this really kind of colorful, like really over the top kind of rock star scene and and attitude which was, you know, these days seems a little cheesy, but at the time I think it just made it very exciting and accessible to like a younger fan who is kind of discovering these larger than life characters from these big bands and they blend the screaming and the singing and the the guitar harmonies together in a way that's so digestible maybe to a kid um, or like a, like a teenager at that time. So yeah, um, I mean, for me, yeah, at, at the age that you know music was just becoming increasingly and increasingly important to me there's this album city of evil by avenge sevenfold which was totally totally changed my life so i reckon so that's the one i got to talk about today cool i'm excited again never listened to it <laughs> so tell me everything All right. okay do you know anything about the band or over- i know nothing i know nothing about avenge sevenfold all right yeah, I'm a, so, I mean, I'm definitely a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a diehard for like the first three albums of this band particularly. Um, the latest stuff, I mean, I definitely appreciate it, but I think it was, it was definitely like a time and a place, um, those records for me where they, they just, yeah, landed in the right spot of what I needed to hear at that time. So I was, let me think back. So I was, I, I kind of had to do a little Googling myself actually, <laughs> and remember like, just, you know, really piece exactly like where in my life I would have been at that time so it dropped in 2005 i believe and so i was in year six at the time and so yeah i was about 12 years old and i think at the time music had really become the biggest thing in my life probably when i was about 11 or so when i picked up drums and guitar and um started hearing got really really heavily into bands like yeah green day and blink 182 and then you know then stuff like say lincoln park and my chemical romance and bands like that that was so huge and visible at that time and me and all my best friends in primary school started our first band 
and yeah. we yeah and we used to cover yeah just cover literally pretty much every green day song <laughs> that was about it and yeah and so we were all kind of obsessed with music at that time and then when i went to high school around that time i think i remember my cousin he'd gone to some kind of festival or or a show i think he, he went to like taste of chaos australia or something like that or one, one of my cousins did and came back with this compilation cd and it was called i think it was called a proper introduction and i just googled it just now i can't find it anywhere obviously a hard a hard thing to google and actually find something specific right if you google a proper introduction yeah, <laughs> yeah i was googling a proper introduction hardcore sampler emo sampler compilation couldn't find anything I'm sure I'll dig it up somewhere, but essentially, yeah, it was like a, it was a compilation. I don't know what record label or labels might've put it together, but it was, it had maybe like 10 or 15 tracks from a bunch of different signed. When I say upcoming, I don't, I mean, just like in not, not yet mainstream, but like, you know, big within the scene, bunch of bands like that. So I'm pretty sure it had like Taking Back Sunday, Mike Hem, probably some Atreyu. Can't remember who else, but yeah, it had a ton of really good bands on it. And I, borrowed this compilation off my cousin and I was a few of the bands I instantly loved and um a few of them I was like not sure how to get my head around and you know the heaviest thing I'd really heard at that time was maybe like System of a Down maybe yeah up to that point and yeah and so System of a Down obviously you get these little kind of elements of screaming every now and then and um Linkin Park as well had those elements and stuff but I hadn't really heard, you know, bands that were really more built around the heavier vocal styles and stuff or more technical guitar work as well. That was another thing. So I had this compilation and I was hearing all of these bands and kind of just, you know, you know, at that age when you, you don't know if you get something yet, you don't even know if you like it, but it makes you feel like a kind of an adrenaline rush because you, because it's new and it's kind of scary and exciting. So I would kind of cycle those songs and then eventually you just start to love them. Those songs that were a little bit too insane and, and heavy for you. And um, I remember one of the songs on that record was this song called Blinded in Chains by Avenged Sevenfold. And it, and it wasn't, funny enough, it's not a song that has screaming on it because there's no screaming in this record. And I guess why I keep coming back to the screaming thing is, yeah, you know, I was, I genuinely didn't enjoy screamed vocals at that time. Mm. It was like... I thought it was rubbish. And then, um, yeah, honestly, I did just like my mom and um, just like my mom does. That one was funny because although some of the other ones was like, oh, these vocals are too heavy. This was like a different type of vocal that was, again, different. It was kind of hard to process. So like this record is entirely clean vocals, but they're a really unusual and like really unique style. And um, yeah, meanwhile, I'm, I'm kind of getting into all of these bands who've that are introducing me to the screaming thing. And then I'm also hearing Avenged who although I didn't realize it, this was their first time moving away from screamed vocals, really, into permanently doing sung vocals. But all I was hearing was just this guy with this really kind of like gnarly, gritty rock voice that kind of sounded a little bit like, I don't know, now I can look back and compare it almost to like Axl Rose or something like that. But at the time, I didn't even know what to compare his voice to. But I didn't know what I was hearing. Like, it was just so overwhelming. Like that song, um, if you, I think it's maybe the third song on the record or something. Actually, no, I have the track list here. What is it? It's, yes, yeah, the third song on the record. And it's, it's insane. Like when I first heard it, I had literally never heard double kick drumming before in any form. So I'd seen double pedals in the shops and I'd seen kits with two bass drums on them, but I didn't know what they were for. Like, I just didn't know why you would do that because drummer play bass drum with right foot. You know, it's just <laughs> like very, I was just like, what do you, what, what are they doing? And I was like, okay, so I guess, I guess they play it with both feet, but I didn't know any context that you would do that. I'd never heard a song that utilized that. So in my mind, that was just some weird little thing that some guys do to be flashy. And then I heard this song and it's full of like blazing fast double kick. Like still to this day, this song is a benchmark to me for drums. And I've been trying to play this song for like 15 years. Yeah, I legitimately didn't know what I was hearing because the way he was playing the kicks, I just didn't fathom in my head that that could be a kick drum because you can't do that with a kick drum. And I just thought he had really, really weird, like flat sounding toms. <laughs> I was just like, is he just racing around the toms, but they sound really shit? Like, what is this? I don't understand it. And then I was, I, again, you know, it was one of those things I kept coming back because this song was so intense and so insane. And, and it wasn't just the drums. It was, yeah, this this weird gnarly vocal style. And then there's the guitar work, which is phenomenal. Like it, the song opens with, it has like a double introduction 
And then the second part of the introduction is just like a blazing double time thrash solo. In fact, it's almost like two solos before the vocals come in. It opens with like a dueling guitar solo and then goes into a really shreddy solo at double time. It's just so ambitious, you know, like to look at a band like that, that would do that much guitar work at blazing speed with all these harmonies and double kick before you even get to a verse. And it was, you know, I'd never really heard a song even structured like that. Like the structures of their songs are so on that record or in general, but that record, the structures are insane. Like no song is shorter than five and a half minutes. The longest song is almost 10 minutes. Um, So yeah, it's, you know, to a kid that age, it's just like to go from hearing, you know, the kind of mainstream new metal bands that I'd been kind of introduced to and stuff. And I'm going to say new metal, I guess I'm including, say, yeah, system of down in that, whether you consider them new metal or not. But like, you know, these bands that were, you know, they were weird, super weird, but they weren't writing seven and a half minute songs about fighting dragons. And it's like, to hear that, it's just, it's just very, um, just kind of really shifts your perspective on what rock music can in- incorporate. You know what I mean? So yeah, sorry, I'm rambling yeah. a lot there, but that's, um, no. yeah, that's, I guess the story of how I heard it. I suppose though, what happened from there though, is it kind of got in my head. And then a year or so later, I remember being on my, on my bus on the way from home from school. And there was a guy who, who I caught the bus with, who was a drummer. It was a couple of years older than me. And he used to kind of just like talk, we used to talk about drums cause we were the only other people on the, on the bus who could talk about our favorite topics. So, and one day he was just like, what are you listening to? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like, yeah fallout boy or something and he was like nah listen to this and he like gave me some headphones and i was like oh i've heard this band before and he was like yeah it's avenge sevenfold dude it's fucking awesome and i was like <laughs> what's he doing and he was like that's double kicks he's like that's what and i think he made, i think he'd had this guy had probably like I, I remember he had bought a double pedal right around that time and he was really excited about it or he was about to buy one and he was like yeah double kicks man i'm buying these tama iron cobras and i was like I'll get those. Cool. (laughs) All right, man, I'm sold. I am sold. And I was like, he's doing all that with his feet. Holy shit. And the cymbal work and the, and the tom work and the fills, just everything about it. Like it was just game changing for me. And so then I went home and I downloaded that album off LimeWire. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Avenged Sevenfold. (laughs) Yeah. Probably only got one or two viruses from downloading that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then I just, I just thrashed it. And, And at the same time, as it happened, my best friends from primary school, we all kind of discovered the band ourselves at that same time as well. Next minute, we were all learning Avenged Sevenfold songs or trying to because they were about 10 times harder than anything we'd played before that. But, you know, from then on, it was like, okay, I need to learn to play metal. I don't think if I'd heard the drumming on that album just stood out so much. It's really hard for me to say if, and, and yeah, and all the other pieces were there. Like, it's really hard for me to say if I actually would have even ended up playing metal drums if it hadn't been for that album. Like, I mean, there's, you know, albums like say like Slipknot Volume 3 or Lamb of God Sacrament, like definitely would have still had a huge impact on me and did. But like, you know, you know that that first one that really crosses you over where it's almost like the equivalent for me of when I first heard Take Off Your Pants and Jacket by Blink-182, you know, like as like a drumming album that made me obsessed with like learning a style, you know, probably, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably comparable to that. Oh, that's super interesting. And like the fact that, what, you only had a couple songs to begin with and then thrashed those and was like, yeah, hell yeah. I found, what, going back to my my youth, lol, but because everyone shares music and it's always a couple songs from here and there and here and there. So how did you go from a couple of songs to listening to the entire album where you sort of like, I don't know, I get really attached to certain songs and then other songs don't really stand up as much, I guess. And I'm like, oh, a little bit disappointed. Back in the day, I'm different now. So when you first heard the entire album as a whole, did it change anything for you, I guess? Ooh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. Straight off it's the funny. Dome. I um, Yeah, no, great. Um, off the dome. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, um, I mean, it's funny. I think back then that was my normal way of consuming music because I didn't buy a lot of CDs. You know, being 12 years old and obsessed with music, you discover free downloading and you're going to do what you're going to do. So... Yeah, I guess what I would do is I would I would get albums sometimes. I would sometimes buy CDs, but like downloading a few songs was like a test the waters with a band for yeah. me. So I wouldn't necessarily go out and I um I have a lot of respect for those people who would like talk about that old school way of like finding bands where they just pick an album based off like a record store guy's recommendation or they like the artwork mm. and they go home and they just commit to it. 
and they just force themselves to listen to it until they love it because they bought it right so i like maybe only did that once or twice in my life and it's really i would kind of hear about a band download a couple of singles that were recommended to me and then once i kind of got my head around those and i decided i liked it enough then i would try and kind of build the collection up and fill in the gaps in the album but what was really funny about that is that you would end up with albums that were missing tracks or albums (laughs) where one of the tracks was like if I have to be softer or louder or was super distorted or shot quality, like a really fucked up quality. And yeah, so you wouldn't always get the best experience. Or I would realize that after like three years of listening to an album, I'd be missing a couple of songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I get, you know, it's interesting. I did have that syndrome that you talk about a little bit because of that, you know, you could almost call it like single syndrome where you kind of, you get too many good singles off a record and then when you hear the whole album, it just doesn't quite live up to that for you because albums need variety and maybe all the singles they put out just happen to be the ones that fit into the most, yeah, the most marketable style and that happened to be what you liked or whatever. I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of reasons. Like I think sometimes it's also just that you can never replicate that first time hearing a band, like the song that does it, like you can just never replicate that. Like, I think back, there are so many bands that I think back on and just like the first time I heard that one song and just went, what is this? Like, or even sometimes hearing it and not getting it and then getting it after a a week later and suddenly feeling like enlightened. (laughs) Like you've, yeah, like you've just kind of transcended something and finally understand that weird piece of music you heard last week. Like it's really hard to, to replicate that. And I guess like, you know, you can get that within an album. Like you can get halfway through an album and be surprised somewhat. But I feel like, yeah, that initial impact of being introduced to an artist through that one song that happens to capture you is, yeah, we kind of always chase it afterwards, don't we? We're always, it hurts sometimes with your favorite bands. Hey, when you're like, I know that this band's new record is amazing and I know I will grow to love it. But all I want to feel is what I felt when I was 16 and I heard them for the first time. And it's like, it, it can never be done. But I guess with this album, just to get off that little existential tangent. Um, <laughs> yeah, with, with this one, I guess I heard Blinded in Chains and that was just insane. And then I started coming across some other stuff because my friends were like, have you heard that band? And I was like, yeah, yeah. My cousin showed me them. This guy at school showed me them. And then I probably with the next couple of songs I would have heard would have probably been like Beast and the Harlot and Backcountry, which were, yeah, you know, they're the singles. So Blinded in Chains wasn't a single. And that's why it's weird that I heard it first. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's why I, always, I love talking about that song so much because it's a really, like I said, it's, it's, oh my God, it's six and a half minutes long. I just looked, it's six and a half minutes long. You know, it's crazy. Like that, they're really a progressive band on that. Like if you look at that album, it's basically a prog album. Like it's so incredibly prog when you get down to it. It's so many songs that don't have any repeating parts or where the repeating parts are are six minutes apart from each other and completely different by the time they come back. So like, yeah, even, you know, that song was very much not a single, but then even the singles are like really weird too. You know, they're all over five minutes. So the next songs I heard was like uh, Beast and the Harlot and Backcountry, which are, yeah, they're amazing songs. Beast and the Harlot, again, I think at that point, I don't even know if I'd fully got my head around the double. No, I think I had got my head around the double kick thing. So then I'm just hearing this guy just do these straight 16th notes for like 35 seconds straight. And I was like, I hope one day in my life I can play that. You know, that's a benchmark for a decade from now. And I played that song, you know, for days and days and days and hours and weeks, like trying to get that down. And it became such a big, like, you know, a benchmark for me. And yeah, then backcountry is really different as well. It's like, got this weird kind of double time punk feel. It's in a weird, I don't know what the scale is. I keep forgetting. It's not like, it's like a, I don't know, like Dorian mode or something. I'm talking shit, but it's, it's, it's in like a really unusual scale. And yeah, all these weird kind of punk beats, then like a dance beat in the chorus and everything. So again, super weird ends with this kind of big play out with acoustics layered in there and orchestration, like Every second song on this record has like acoustic guitar layered into an epic outro and violins and there's like harps and organs in there, I'm pretty sure. Um, That's so prog, literally. <laughs> it's just gnarly. It's just so insane. Like to for a band to, on their second album to have done that. Like, yeah, like the composition 
just out the door. But yeah, sorry, going back to your question, it was from there is getting my head around those singles, slowly line wiring the other songs to build a whole collection, <laughs> realizing the album was in the wrong order and reordering them. Oh, wow. um, so I could hear it as it was intended because um, yeah, line wire will do that. And then, yeah, just, just kind of over the next couple of years, I just fell so in love with this record. I mean, look, there are some songs I was going through the list today and there are some songs I go, man, yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. But I've realized there's actually not a single track on here I would skip. And there's maybe like even on the following album of theirs, which I love, there are a couple of songs I tend to jump over. But this one, I don't know. There's not a single song that slows it down enough for me to or yeah, I guess loses loses what I love about it enough for me to skip it. Like even the the lesser known songs on this, I think the musicianship and the composition just stands out so much. Yeah, that's the big thing about this album for me is I think it's I think it's the composition and the musicianship like above everything is just defines this record for me. That's awesome. I will definitely have to listen out for that and the drumming as well because it's not like I mean I don't really know too much about drums and drumming and everything, but it sounds sounds very cool. I can uh, I'll give you a tip with the drumming. Just if you want to imagine like if you want to feel how crazy the drumming is, just try to imagine yourself sitting in the chair <laughs> and your hands and feet doing what he's doing. Like try to like put headphones on. And just like visualize that you're behind that drum kit and try to comprehend how you would possibly get from here to here. And I mean, and this guy's playing like a 16 piece drum kit as well. So, um, but it's, it's so cool. Like it's, you know, it's yeah, just to get crazy about the drumming. Like, I mean, it's like, it introduced me to not only double kick, but you know, using splash symbols, just putting splashes and um, effect symbols into fills in unusual ways offbeat cymbal hits like offbeat china hits to accent like the upbeats of a part when you're going really heavy things that i kind of later then heard done in other ways by bands like august burns red for example like matt griner now and i have no idea if he was event, uh, influenced by the rev from Avenged sevenfold but he some of the techniques that i kind of first started to somewhat digest in avenged then i would hear them done in a much more extreme way by bands that were even more technical and more out of the box like ABR. So um, yeah, but I, I feel like a lot of people these days, I mean, cause the, the guy put the, the guy passed away in 2009, the drummer, um, the Rev. So he was like, yeah, like an all time, an all time hero for me. Like honestly, like a goat in metal to me. And there's like, there are so many people nowadays who are, you could definitely say, are, you know, way, way better technically and stuff than that. But, the creativity in what he was doing, like, and the finesse and the dynamics in it, just playing really out of the box stuff. And it's very, it's very ADD drumming. It's very like <laughs> constantly shifting. Like I, I look at it and I just go, that's, that's why I play the way I do. Like I've started to realize looking at kind of going back to some of my favorite bands that I still like to jam on drums, like Avenged and Slipknot, like after Joey passed away recently, which was heartbreaking after he passed away when i went back and started playing slipknot songs i was like i've just realized all these tricks i have are from slipknot like all of these little flares i add into my snare work or little little double kick flares i throw in there to spice a part up are so influenced by joey and then there's so many others that are influenced by jimmy from avenged so yeah you just that yeah it was a life-changing album for me drumming wise i gotta say that again yeah oh my gosh yeah, I mean, like, looking back, you know, now as adults, looking back on, like, a childhood uh, favourite and realising that it, like, influenced your drumming as well is now the time when you're like, that was actually, like, I knew it was important, I knew I loved it, knew it was a great album, but now I realise how much of an important album it was to me at the time and still is, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the funny thing is, like, I, I genuinely, like... I look back on a lot of albums by other artists as honestly being responsible for me having a career in music. Like genuinely, like I look at, I, I can honestly say like a big part of why I have a career playing metalcore music is because I heard Horizons by Parkway and because I heard this album, City of Evil by Avenged. Um, it's definitely up there with, with all of those. And I look at it and I go, well, if I hadn't heard those records at that time and had that drive to want to replicate what I was hearing because it was so exciting, you know, I probably would have still been playing music because I've always played music. But even, yeah, you know, you can I can trace that right back to hearing American Idiot for the first time or Enema of the State as well, which were probably the first albums that really did that for me. So, 
yeah, I mean, to look to look back on the um, the influence of of anyone like that, like like Jimmy from Avenged, or or Joey, or Travis, or Trey Cool, or Ringo, or any of these other people, because yeah, Beatles honestly were a huge band for me in my early drumming days. Because my mum's a big Beatles fan, and so I look back on all these guys, and I'm like, there's so much that you can, so much of your playing and your style that you can trace back to those people. And like, yeah, I think you know we're all products of of our favorite players, whether we want to admit it or not. Like, I think. All you can really do as an artist is give credit where credit's due and like give respect to the people that did what you were doing before you did it. Yeah. When I look back on a record like this, I, I hear some of these fills and I've been like, I, I remember, I I, I've kind of copied that, haven't I? You know, yeah, I kind of, come, and some, I mean, some of them are obvious. Some of them are almost deliberate. Like, you know, there's this fill in backcountry. There's like a, what you call a herder fill, which is like a particular drumming pattern. And he does it with the toms and the snare a couple of times in backcountry a few other songs he also does it with the kicks in like a two-bar double kick solo in the middle of that song blinded in chains which is one of the most insane things to throw into it like it's just this this ridiculous little solo using these things called herders which are yeah these little kind of gallopy patterns in the feet and it sounds so ridiculous i i mean there's i use i kind of probably the first time i ever heard that and then i discovered years later that's what is done in that song uh bleed by Meshuggah. that's kind of like this you know, a, a standard uh, milestone for double kick these days. Like it's a real true benchmark. It's a brutal benchmark too. Um, and that is, you know, that that little figure that he's doing there on cycle in Meshuggah's Bleed. First time I ever heard anyone really even just do that for a brief second with their feet was in this Avenged song. And now I use it in a couple of our songs. I do it in the breakdown of Pray for Rain in just like a little moment. Yeah, you find those little things. I find these these fill ideas and stuff that I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. He did that too. Yeah. That was, um, that's totally borrowed. It's yeah. It's funny. It's funny to look back on. We've just found your origin story. Oh, absolutely. My, I'm very open about my, my musical origin story is, uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's just, I just borrow from all my favorite players and then combine it together. I mean, but that's all, that's all anyone does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then just, yeah, put, put them in a pot and then just see what I want to do with them. That's kind of the way I look at it. It's not like, everything we do is just borrowed, but it's like, you take all those things, you make a hybrid of them and then you, you know, consciously and subconsciously take the pieces that you, that you like, and then you inject your own personality and taste into it across that. And then it becomes yours. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys I've just named the, yeah, such big foundations of my drumming for sure. Yeah. I was just going to say, there's a cooking analogy in there somewhere, you know? Oh yes. There's, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I feel I feel like that's 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 the thing I've discovered recently. These these areas of interest <laughs> in my life they tend they tend to cross back and forth. Drums and cooking, it's all the same. Really. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think like you know, just thinking about like how ambitious the record is as well, right? So the first song has a drum solo in the middle of it, which is like yeah, it's it's a short drum solo. It's maybe like a twenty second, twenty five second drum solo with like guitars ringing over it, but it's still insanely show offy to put in a, in an opening song. The opening song, it has, I think it has two guitar solos in it. And I think a lot of their songs have like, yeah, multiple solos, which is definitely like a big thing that separates them from a, from a lot of bands these days. And then there's a fucking key change at the end, like a Bon Jovi key change. You know what I mean? Like when you listen to like 80 or like a Journey key change, you only listen oh. to 80s rock <laughs> and it hits the third chorus. Yes. And they just go, they just take it up to that next key you know they go up the semitone or, or the tone or whatever yeah i feel like now my mind is blanking i can't i can't remember what it was usually done with a tone or a semitone i feel like one of them would sound shit and now my, my brain can't tell me anymore but oh, um, we wouldn't know anyway yeah they do know. they do like the they do like the classic like the 80s rock key change in a metal song in 2005 in the opening track as well like it's so cheesy it's like the cheesiest thing i've ever heard and i think that's the best thing about it like one thing about this band is that they're really divisive these days. And they always have been like, they're one of the biggest metal bands of like the last couple of decades, but they, at the same time, I mean, like any big band, but a lot more than, than some others, they're, they're very divisive. And they're one of those bands that's really not for everyone. And a lot of people that don't like them really don't like them. It, yeah. I mean, in, in my band, yeah, the majority of our band is like hugely about this band, especially this era of this band, but one or two of the guys did never got their heads around it. So um, it's like, the thing is, it's like, whether you get the sound or not though, 
the ambition of what they're doing and the creativity of it is like, I just think you can't ignore it objectively. You know, I can understand like why some people find the vocals necessarily not to their taste because Matt Shadows has got a really unusual voice, a whole record of clean vocals. Like he'd done clean vocals on the last record, but they sounded fairly different. It was like a blend of screamed and sung. And the music was like, the scales they were riding around were mostly a little bit more standard, like just standard kind of like melodic and harmonic minor. And then I think they started getting a little bit, a little bit more kooky on, on this record as well. So like even just the types of melodies they're following and then the grit that he's putting on his voice and the fact that it's an entire album of singing is I can understand why some people who are necessarily heavier fans wouldn't really digest it that well. And like, I mean, it's, it's even funny. I was thinking the other day, like the crazy thing about this record is that they were one of the first big bands to go from screaming, you know, screaming and singing as a blend to moving to all singing. And like, you know, that's kind of like the fear that every heavy fan has for their heavy, their favorite bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it's such a contentious move and like every band and, and back then a lot of bands were doing it too. I think Atreyu was starting to transition down that road. Bullet for My Valentine got to a stage where they didn't do much screaming either. A lot of these guys as well were like damaging their voices from screaming. So like Shadows had to have surgery on his voice, on his vocal cords rather. I'm pretty sure Matt Tuck had surgery on his vocal cords. A lot of these guys have had um, nodules or vocal and or um, some kind of vocal cord surgery at some point. So the dude literally changed his entire singing technique. And I think that a lot of people believed whether you know to, to some extent that they changed their sound because he couldn't scream anymore because he damaged his voice um but the way the band has always put it in like what i've always read around the album and the interviews and stuff is that they always planned to over time make a kind of taper the screaming down and taper the singing up until it became just a sung band because that's what he wanted to do because he has a great voice i think i'm sure some people think that's bullshit i mean personally i believe it i don't I honestly don't think most bands tend to lie to fans about their motivations for their sounds. Honestly, like that might be naive of me, but I really think like most bands, if they want to change their sound, they do it. If they have to change it for another reason, unless it's the label told us to, they'll usually be honest about it. And I was like, it did to me, it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense when you look at their music, because their music is so melodically driven. They're not a breakdowns band, you know, there's a couple of breakdowns on that record, but like, they're not a band that's, written to be you know it's not written for hardcore shows at least the later stuff so the earlier stuff was a little bit more but what's crazy is like you know i'm sure a lot of people are kind of freaking out around that time you know one of their favorite bands is moving away from the heavier stuff and regardless of like whatever the reason was for that though the cool thing was like on this record they did that but they didn't compromise the intensity of the instrumentals like at all which is really rare like most bands when they transition from being a more screaming dominated band to a more sung band the instrumentals tend to get simpler as well and it, and it makes total sense because it's a lot easier to write clean vocals over instrumentals that are a bit more straightforward one of the reasons why screamed vocals work in metal is because when the instruments are that busy it's really really hard to write melodic vocals that don't disrupt the instruments or aren't disrupted by the instruments but so scream, you can put scream stuff over the most technical shit ever and they balance each other out because your ears tune into, you know, the melodic nature of what's underneath it. And then, you know, you, the screams just kind of form this texture over the top. But like this, this Avenged album is just nuts because it's like instrumentally, it's way more over the top and insane than the previous record. And, and they've said it in a lot of interviews too. That they were like, we just decided to take what we were, what was most exciting about our band and just like, make it a caricature almost like exaggerate it so much that you were just like holy shit like so they just took the the harmonized guitar parts and just did them like four times as much in the record <laughs> and they took they you know they octaved they put octaves on almost every vocal for layers they like they harmonized the absolute shit out of stuff i think uh, actually i don't think they were doing the they, they might have been doing the guitarists on backup vocals on the records at that point too. I'm not sure. They started doing that later. But yeah, it's just such a larger than life version of the original thing. So they didn't really compromise the instrumentals at all. And then they also started introducing all this insane like orchestral stuff and 
classical guitar like there's a flamenco outro that's like a minute and a half long on one of the songs like it's just a flamenco solo with timbales and latin percussion going on behind it as well like it's it's i think it's a song called sidewinder like it's just absolutely insane but to take a record like that and be like if you heard the this song instrumentally all the way through you would almost certainly think there was going to be screams over it you know yeah yeah okay like I, I had that thought this morning like if i heard this record totally instrumentally and tried to imagine what vocals would go over it there's no way i would picture entirely sung vocals for this what like hour of music or whatever it is yeah because it's a damn long record too yeah I, that that, <laughs> that to me just makes it, it's so it's so brave like it's actually that sounded really cheesy for me like it's so brave <laughs> so brave but it's such um, a good job it's no, but... yeah it's stunning and it's brave it's um yeah but it's it's so it really is like a, a ballsy move. Like everything about this record, it's it's like a, it's like a no fucks given record, and that's why I think this record is like it blows my mind. Like these guys signed to Warner and then made this, or oh they might yeah they did yeah they they made their last record, got signed to Warner, licensed Waking the Fallen to Warner I think, and then put this out. Like, and lol, we're changing stuff up. Don't be alarmed. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's weird, you know. And I think I think it caused it would have caused such a stir because you know people. It was a change, right? You know, they were go they were less heavy in a lot of ways, but like it's not like the the thing for this album is like, you know, if anybody was to say that this is a selling out album, I think that's just the most laughable thing I've ever heard. Like honestly, I look at that and I'm like they charted maybe like 30 on the Billboard charts and Backcountry was on MTV and Backcountry is a five and a half minute song on MTV. That's not selling out. Like <laughs> that, that's the thing about the beautiful thing about it is it's like they did everything that shouldn't have worked in mainstream and yet they got mainstream success over it. And that's the total opposite of selling out to me. It's like, if I don't feel like anybody, I can't imagine anybody in a major label saying, Hey, can you make a record that sounds like this? Um, we think that's, what's going to sell. Please change your sound and sound like this. Cause nobody could have ever imagined a record like this. Like, I think what's really cool about this, this record is that, you know, how I was saying before, like, Personally, like I try to really be open about like the influences on my music and I really love when you can hear bands and tell where they're drawing their influences from. Yes. And, when, and also when they're really honest about it too, when they don't try to hide it. I think what's really cool with these guys is like so much of this record, it draws so heavily from classic metal as well. And I feel like that's why it stood out as well. You know, a lot of the other bands at the time, everything they were doing was very much coming from like the core scene and more heavily influenced by like the emo movement of the time and the post-hardcore movement of the time, as well as obviously kind of like that European metal influence and the European death metal influences, which is where obviously some of those like harmony ideas and stuff seemingly came from. But mm. then, you know, what Avenged were doing that I think really opened them up to a way, way bigger crowd than a lot of the bands from that Warp Tour scene. Because Avenged really started in like the, what you would consider like the Warp Tour scene. Yeah, they were touring. If you watch their, their early videos, you know, they look like a very different band. And um, they look much more, it's much more of a, like a close to like that emo look from the time. You know, there's eyeliner. They're all in black. Um, they've got like the studded belts. Like, um, you know, it's very much of that time. And um, and the hair too. They've got these, these black fringes, like, you know, coming off to the side. It's really, really peak, you know, 2000, 2004 emo in that look. But what's really cool about this record is it's like you can see them starting to be like what we really love is classic metal. And all the other bands of that time were, you know, when, when Avenged started doing it, and I'm not saying they were all doing it before, the, you know, copying each other, but it did start to seep in to other bands around that time too. But I think Avenged were the first band to really like throw in like blatant Iron Maiden influences into the metal core movement you know what i mean at least in my eyes I'm sure, I'm sure other people were doing it but it really stood out like there's there's just some straight up iron maiden parts on this record and some like kind of some slayer parts as well and there's 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 parts that remind me a lot of metallica in fact the opening of blind and in chains that song i was talking about is directly basically lifted from the middle of one by metallica it's just a rhythm but it's directly the same rhythm and kick part you know it it really shows much more of a of an appreciation to, I guess, metal's origins in a lot of ways mm. than to like the bands of its own time. And I think that's why it stood out too, because everyone else was borrowing off each other. And meanwhile, Avenged Sevenfold at that time really just like pulled together an album that 
showcased a lot of what people loved about metal from a decade or two ago. So not only do you have all these young, the, the crazy thing about this band and why I think it worked, like it's such a right time, right place thing in a lot of ways. Obviously the music was going to go well regardless, but them exploding, it's like they had all of the things that, you know, the, the dad rockers of metal and um, the slightly older generation of metal could get into. You know, they had the true, true musicianship, great guitar work, huge stage presence. They started doing pyrotechnics and crazy visuals. They had all the theatricity, theatricity. Yeah. I, don't know, I used that word last night and I don't know if it's real. Yeah, they all th <laughs> the theatrics. They had all the theatrics of like Motley Crue and almost, maybe not Motley Crue, but like of, um, you know, a lot of your 80s bands and stuff at some points. And yet their image was heavily drawing from like the emo movement of the time and the post-hardcore movement of the time. But then combine it with the fact that these guys could play their instruments at a level at least equal to the best thrash bands. So you've got, yeah, you've got the, the visuals, like the, the visuals of glam rock and stadium rock meets emo combined with like the sound of classic metal and a bit of a modern twist. So all you've, you've basically just pulled together fans from like a whole bunch of different corners and different ages too. You get those young kids that are drawn in by the look of the way those guys were dressing back then. I remember my, my best friend in primary school started wearing black fingerless gloves because he wanted to, and a, and a fucking fedora because he no. wanted to look like Sim Gates. It was, yeah, it was, it was amazing because um, he was a sick guitarist and he was like, cool, I'm going to wear this hat. And eventually, yeah, we made enough jokes about it that he stopped. But yeah, like everyone was, you know, that having something like that that you could attach to you know, if you were coming from a variety of different perspectives in, in music as well. And then I, I had friends at school who were just like nerds from my music class who I kind of kept telling them to listen to this band until they realized how cool the, the instrumental aspect was, you know, like there's just, there's so much that you can, you can kind of attach to with a band like that. And I think, you know, in terms of what, what I was saying about the younger generation being able to attach to like the emo look and the, and the, the whole visual a lot of what else played into that as well is that they really did a great job of like building a culture around the band and like a, what would you call it? Almost like a myth, a mythology, not a mythology, but like they, yeah. I, I know their image mean. was just so marketable. So like, you know, they want, you know, it's, it's something that I consider very cheesy nowadays and I considered it cheesy at the time too, but I kind of loved it. Like it's, they all had stage names and, and you can compare it to, yeah, like Motley Crue or something like that. Like they had these, these larger than life, like almost, caricature personalities um with these what are that was like was it m shadows zaki vengeance sinister gates <laughs> the reverend tholomew plague and johnny christ like heavy <laughs> it's, it's 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 so ridiculous but yeah to a kid my age that's that's badass they were like they were like comic book characters you know they're like it's awesome yeah Oh my gosh, I love how much you love this album and that makes me want to go and listen to it. So I need to throw this on, but what am I, what are my listening notes? How should I listen to this album? Okay, I would, I would probably, hmm, there's a part of me that wants to say go watch a live video first, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you a recommendation, just, just, just to almost get a, I, I, I almost kind of want you to have like a visual in your head when okay. you watch it. Maybe you need to watch, um... The music video for Backcountry, because mm -hmm. it's silly. It's it's really silly, but like it gives the the song a vibe. And you should watch Beats of the Heart live in Long Beach, California. Okay. Just to get an idea of what this band looks like when they play live and how real, like how great of a show it is. Because this like that that's like the opening track of the record, and it's so it's such a big song. Like it, it really the opening is like truly epic it's these huge chords and church bells hitting and stuff and yeah i mean they literally come out of the gates with is it the church bells or just piano i think there's a bit of a bell there i could be wrong but yeah I'd, I'd say get that for a bit of a visual idea of what you know the energy is of the band and then i would say and, and yeah the, the video for backcountry is real silly like it's it's very yeah very 80s glam rock like they're like driving <laughs> around in 
like a i don't know some big like mus- muscle car like a muscle <laughs> car yeah like a convertible muscle car like drinking jack daniels with strippers and there's like bats flying around everywhere and there's all this imagery borrowing from um fear and loathing in las vegas the book by hunter s thompson yeah it's <laughs> it's so <laughs> wow. ridiculous like like i keep saying <laughs> but I, I reckon yeah when, when you're listening to it you just really want to i'd say try and tune into the layering try and pay attention to you want to be able to kind of cast your, your ear between different things so like just try and take moments to like tune into the guitar for a little bit or when it grabs your ear, really tune into the guitar doing something special or really pay attention to when the drums are doing something really ferocious. And then in like the bigger sections, the bigger, more open sections, try to th- listen to the the orchestration because you're going to hear like acoustic guitars, pretty much like full symphony orchestras. I think maybe some organs and harps in there. You also hear a bunch of percussion, like there's some timbales and I think maybe like some congas in in one of the songs. Yeah, and and I feel look, I I feel like I have neglected the end of the end of the record a little bit in the songs I've talked about because I've mainly named the singles, but like the the second half of the record is definitely much lesser known. Like obviously most records tend to stack the singles at the front, but yeah, I mean the back half has that one sidewinder with the flamenco outro. There's like yeah, like Wicked End is like opens with this insane drum beat and guitar interaction that's really cool. There's like a Oh, I mean, I even forgot about like Seize the Day is just a straight ballad. Like <laughs> these guys also kind of start, that's, it's, that sounds almost like a Guns N' Roses ballad, you know? You can really hear that influence in, in some of the songs as well, just like the more even mm. classic rock rather than classic metal. So I feel like, yeah, there's songs like that. And then they end with a song that's pretty much just their version of The Trooper by Iron Maiden, which is called M.I.A., and um, I don't know if other people look at it that way, but it's it's like a song about being a soldier in the army, and it, which is exactly what the trooper is about by Iron Maiden, and it has this these guitar harmonies and like drum beat, this like gallop drum beat. Where I fit, I in my mind when I listen to this song, I kind of just tell myself like this is like their tribute to the tribute, but it's the trooper by Iron Maiden, and I don't know if it is, but yeah. it's a very cool. Very cool song. I think it's actually very underrated too, like a lot of the stuff in the second half of that record. But it's eight minutes and 50 seconds long. So, Wow, I'm excited. Maybe not everyone gets there. You better put aside some time, man. I'll say like, you better like... <laughs> I think I'm going to have to. It's going to have to be like me alone with my thoughts, listening to this album. I don't know. I'll go for a walk or something just so I can zone out, zone out to the world, not to the album. But yeah. As I've obviously rambled about this for a very, very long time, I do. <laughs> do you mind if I ask you some questions? Because oh. I'm curious, like, because I want to know what you're going to get going into this. Yeah. No, I want to know what you. <laughs> I want to know what you. What like? Yeah. Well, I guess what you'll be going into this with. So you've never heard. You've heard some Avenged Sevenfold or none. I don't recall. I honestly don't remember ever intentionally listening to an Avenged Sevenfold song. Maybe it's come on the radio. Okay. I wouldn't know. Did yeah. you ever play Guitar Hero back in the day? Not a lot. No, I never had it. I was going to say it was a, that's another thing where this which really made this record explode was this, um, I think Backcountry was on Guitar Hero. Okay. Um, could have been another song though. Um, they've, they've had a couple of songs on there. And so again, yeah, that was that beautiful melting pot where metal bands were getting introduced to all the normies yeah. around the world because of Guitar Hero. So, but let me think, what would you say is like, one of the faster or more technical bands that you enjoy? Dream Theater. Okay. I guess. Okay. Like I've, I mean. You like Dream Theater. That's a good one then. Okay. That's really, I was not expecting that was where you were going to go. Ha <laughs> Um, But that's, no, that's good because this is a super proggy album. Yeah. I really, I really enjoy yeah. prog. Okay. I did, fun fact, an elective in uni called Progressive Rock and we just sat in a classroom for three hours on a Friday morning and watched music oh. videos the entire time. So that's where I... That's where I, you know, developed that love. And Dream Theater was, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so, I mean, uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater or ex-drummer of Dream Theater was uh, Vince Drummer's The Rev, uh, his, one of his favorite drummers of all time, one of his drumming heroes. Oh. And after he died, Mike Portnoy then became the drummer for Avenged Sevenfold for about a year or so. Oh. Um, full circle. Yeah. Crazy. So, but if you like Dream Theater and you appreciate uh, Mike's drumming style, either mic because there's two mics that have played drums in that band <laughs> yeah you'd probably find a little bit more to to digest in Avengers sevenfold in that case yeah because it's like i said it's really like you you could really call it a prog album it'd be hard to argue that it's not a prog album really yeah um, right. 
And because it's, yeah, it's funny. Like these days, Avenged to get lumped in with like the, I feel like a lot of people lump them in with almost this kind of dad metal sound, you know, because they're a bit more hard rock sounding, um, which is the direction that they've gone. But, you know, yeah, back then it's like, it's, it's much easier to compare them to these really fast and intense bands. Is there anything else that you think might be down that line? Dream Theater? I mean, going down the prog stuff that I like and have learned, what, like, I thought Yes was pretty cool. Very proggy, but okay. also, and it's maybe not the drums, but it's like the, key, yes. it's the keys. Never listened to them. That's actually, the, I know they're a band I'm supposed to know. I definitely need to pick them out. I don't know. I just think when you say technical and, like, fast, you go for that. I would go into that area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I would say maybe, I reckon, I reckon listen to this album as if you're trying to like when you when you listen to dream theater do you try and really like actively digest what's going on and like really tune into all the the intricacies of it like do you try to or do you just kind of it listen to it as a whole because everyone's different with prog i would listen as a whole first yeah. and then go back and be like oh yeah but so with progressive music yeah do you like do you enjoy kind of like yeah i guess you know digesting the detail of it over time and trying to hear all the intricacies yeah if you do like i think that's this is maybe i'll say try and listen to this record like I wouldn't normally think to say this, but just, yeah, it's actually great that you've said that. I reckon try and listen to this record like you're trying to digest a Dream Theater album. Because <laughs> oh, um, cool. I think now, and that's some people would probably think that's a really weird thing to say about Avenged Sevenfold, but, it, you know, it's like it's a prog record really in my eyes. And I think that if you digest it through that lens, you're going to hear the genius of the compositions earlier on rather than if you just kind of listen to it and go like, oh, like, do I like this hook or not? Because it's really hooky too. Like it's yeah. full of, it's catchy as hell. Like, and that is the wild thing. Like these six minute long songs with three solos in it and double kick everywhere. And yet the vocal parts are very memorable. But yeah, I guess if, if you listen to it, like you're listening to like a mainstream metal record, it's probably not gonna necessarily come across the same way or you might not pick up on the details for a few listens. But I think if, if you try to digest it, like you're listening to something really crazy and technical and progressive, you'll feel a lot more of it, I think. Awesome. But then also maybe another, <laughs> another thing is though, also some, some of these songs just kind of like feel like party songs, like Backcountry kind of feels like, yeah, like that's why I want you to watch the video. That's why I wanted you to watch that <laughs> okay. video. Cause that, I put that song on in the car last night. I listened to the whole album in the car last night just to kind of refresh my brain a bit. And as soon as that song comes on, I low-key just want to floor the accelerator. <laughs> uh, not that I would ever do that. But yeah, there. I, I think one of the songs was even, I think Blood and in Chains was even in Need for Speed Underground or something, which is I'm pretty sure how Rick from my band got into Avenged Sevenfold as well because they're like a mutual favorite band for us. So yeah, there's something about them that also makes me want to kind of drive really fast down a highway. There's a lot, a lot of imagery you can you can conjure up with this record. Yeah, anything from like rock star partying to I don't know, like biblical apocalypse visions. Because so much of the lyrics as well is just like drawn from the Bible, which is another thing about this band is like those first two albums are just full of biblical metaphors, including the band's name, like everything about them. Yeah, sounding the seventh trumpet and all of that. They're all just Bible verses just kind oh of twisted God. to sound a bit darker. Yeah, because I mean, the Bible is full of some really, really dark and awful stuff. So um, it's a great material for metal, really is. Wow, <laughs> what an album. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, I've never, I guess, heard of Avenged Sevenfold in this light before, like ever. So it's, it's yeah, really eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's, I'm glad to hear that. I, I feel like I'll fight to the death for these first three albums. I really would. <laughs> like they are, I will ride or die for these albums. After that, they're great records, but they're just not, I don't have the attachment to them. Whereas these, like, yeah, I've, I've had a, I love it when I'll, I'll like get into a conversation with somebody else who, you know, other friends from other bands or friends from the industry who are like, oh yeah, like I know everybody, like a lot of people rip on that band sometimes, but I absolutely ride for that band. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a few friends who said the same thing to me and they're like, oh, like I wouldn't be playing drums if it was not for that record or one of the other records. So yeah, I, I take a bit of pride in yammering about this record until people decide they have no choice but to appreciate it just to stop <laughs> me from talking. But, um, yeah, it's 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 good fun. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> there we have it. The one metal album that Daniel Fanari thinks that you and I should listen to is City of Evil by Avenged Sevenfold. Dan, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. I'm so excited to um, to hear what you think about it. Please, please email me and tell me 
your feedback. I want a track by track run through. No, you don't. Okay. Do that. <laughs> but no, I'm excited for you to hear it. I also, I also am sure that some people will hear this and think I'm totally full of shit and this album is not all I'm cracking it up to be. And some other people will maybe go away and listen to it for the first time and go, oh, he might have overrated it a little bit. Right? That is, I do not care. Everything I say about, I've said about this record, I, I totally stand by. Like, yeah, it's your And opinion. like I said, if you, if you, yeah, but I mean, but even beyond that, like I really think that anybody who can't hear anything at least of, you know, of interest or value or like worthy of respect in the, you know, the musicality on the record, it's honestly should listen to it again because there's, there's stuff in there for days, but yeah, you gotta have some fun. Listen to it. Listen to a fast and thrashy and crazy record.